Welcome to the Animal Aspirations podcast. In today's episode, we speak to two trailblazing new grads who are taking social media by storm. They talk about their time studying in Eastern Europe and the lessons they learned from being a student abroad. Then we take the jump from being a student to a new grad and what their first job was like. With a social media presence, they discuss why they wanted to share both their personal and professional lives to showcase being real and relatable role models. This is a slightly longer episode, but the chemistry between these two guests is so amazing that I know you'll be hooked from the start. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, technically this afternoon for us. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourselves, please? Hi, I'm Dr. Boluesso. I'm currently a sole charge veterinarian in the UK. Uh, new graduate. I've been practiced two and a half years now. Um, and I'm just here to give my insight into my life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. And my name is Fabian uh, Rivers. I'm an exotic vet in Birmingham. I've been practicing for three years. And yeah, same with Bolo, really. Just to ha- happy to have a nice chat with you guys. Lovely. Okay, so the first thing I want to ask you is obviously because you've only been in practice for three years, but let's go back to your student days. What was it like being a student? Where did you study? Like, what did you enjoy about it? Both of us. One, I can, I can go. Yeah, I can go. I mean, um, yeah, it's amazing. I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot to process at once. It, it's weird because you say three years, and it feels like a short time in the grand scheme of things, like when you hear people have been practicing for 20, 30, 40 years, but that three years feels like, you know how people equate like three human years to dog years. It feels like a lifetime. University feels like a lifetime away. It honestly feels like a whole nother world. I was talking to one of my colleagues that I was with in Budapest, um, because I studied in Budapest. I was talking with one of my colleagues that I was in Budapest with, and it just seems like it was ages since we've been there because you just get hit with so much in the real world. As soon as the real world hits you, it's just like, boom, 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 one thing after the next. And obviously you have all these goals that you're trying to hit as well. And so it's like the hedonic treadmill of just next goal, next goal, next goal, next goal, boom, boom, boom. And so the three years kind of feels like 10 years. I feel like I'm aging like really quickly. <laughs> I'm in like a hyperbolic chamber and just aging really quickly and, you know, experiencing so many cases. So, I mean, I don't know how it is for you, Fabian, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I studied six years in the Czech Republic and during the t- my time there, it felt like it was never ending. I, I, every year I was, I was doing different courses, but I just, it felt like a whole lifetime was there. And so many of the dynamics in the Czech Republic changed and the, the city landscape and the politics and so much happened. And then just like Bolly said, you, you come back and I mean, I went back home initially, and the first thing I had was going back home and living with my mom initially, and and realizing so much had changed and so little had changed in such a, like a, in that time gap that I'd been in, uh, out in the Czech Republic. And three years down the line, it feels like a whole new life. And and I've I've been back to the Czech Republic once, no, twice now, um, to see friends and so on and so forth. And it just doesn't feel it feels familiar, but it feels like mm. a different planet entirely mm. you go back and you meet the same people and they progressed or are just about to graduate and it just I was I lived here for six years like I didn't I wasn't just here I lived here for six years and it doesn't feel real at all at all yeah yeah it's, it's, it's the same with me in Hungary because that's hungry and hungry will always I'm sure it's probably the same with you it depends on your experience I guess but hungry is always going to be like a big 
part of me, like part of me wants to say that I'm Hungarian. I go out there and I wear my Hungarian badge with honour, like, you know, I'm, I'm part Hungarian as well as I am British because, you know, I really had some of the best time of my life in that six years that I was there. And like I said, it felt like a, it felt like its own age, like it felt its own, its own time just being there for six years and then coming back to the UK and now experiencing life as a fully fledged doctor and, you know, working, you know, working on that goal that you were trying to achieve in Hungary. And, you know, it's, it's so nice to, to experience, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it was interesting. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure how much how much this is relevant, but going out there originally was. I remember when I first decided I was going to go out to the, to the Czech Republic, and people's reaction was very mixed. Some people would be like, "What do they eat out in the Czech Republic?" Like it was, I don't know, like I was going to Mars or. Do they only eat soup and potatoes? Because I'm sure when I was in Czechoslovakia, which is clearly not around anymore for a very long time, um, but when I when I went out to Czechoslovakia in the 80s, it was a Soviet country. What what do you mm-hmm. think? You know, what's what's the difference now? And and a lot of people were like, wow, where's Czech Republic? Is is that yeah, near? Exactly. Is that near Greece? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> is that America? Where is that? <laughs> where is that? And so, but. When I went out there, it was it was clearly a place that was kind of in its, a certain transition and it was kind of modernizing in many different ways. And so, um, the, it, I mean, I was a little bit trepid about the whole thing, but I've never done anything in a straight straight line. I'm sure Bolu is the same as well. So it was always really, really nice to go out to see something different and have that new experience. And as I, as Berno grew, I grew with it at the same time. And so coming out of it, I left behind a very different place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I built some really, really great, great friendships and, and things like that. And it, it's just like any other uni experience in a sense that you have a whole mini lifetime, which prepares you for things that you didn't expect because it's the first time that you're really on your own. And I'm not sure, I mean, I used to come back very rarely and so I was you know, doing the bills and the electric and all those extra yeah. things. And so you have like a mini experience of the life that you're, you're hopefully planning to, to build when you came back. And it, did, it definitely did help me. Yeah, before, I, I was going to start jumping off on that and, and going into that, the whole life experience out there, because I'm sure we probably, we probably have so many stories to talk about. Um, but like, now I feel like I'm asking you a question because I'm intrigued now, but it's like, a, like how did you, how did you, what brought about your decision to go check the public? Like, how did that all work? How did you end up going out there? Like, what? So it all started because I mean, I, I, I go back even earlier. I always wanted to be a vet. There was nothing mm. else from that, and so it's it's very very cliche with me. You know, small kid likes animals, wants to spend time around them, wants to help fix them, all that good stuff. And then I had I had came to A levels, and I had the grades, and I had weird work experience, but my work experience was very unconventional. So instead of having, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks in the vets, because I had several like, not so great experiences in vets, I would be like, um, I worked with a vet in South Africa for seven weeks, or, you know, I worked on a, a, a charity farm, or I worked in a charity uh, yard and things like that. So I had, I think I had like 25 weeks, but all, all very unconventional. I had a week in a slaughterhouse, which is where they have like a day or two. Um, and so when it came to applying, um, I actually got an offer, but via doing an undergrad route. Um, I, ha- I can't say which, which, which uni it was. Um, but the old, my other three just said no, straight off the bat. No, 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 no. And so I came to this point of either going via this undergrad route 
to going on to, if I got a 2-1, I would get onto the, this other course. And it was the year when the 3,000 to the 9,000 chin changed. And so I had all these different elements of, you know, what are my options? Um, and so basically I took a gap year to think about it. I kept that offer there about doing the undergrad and then doing the postgrad. And also remember when you do a postgrad, except I think it's RBC and maybe another place, it's mm-hmm. the fullback money. So basically yeah. they were giving me the opportunity to get onto their course as a postgrad for full for the full for full dollar basically. Back, yeah, no, no discount. No discount. <laughs> um and so and so basically so it, it came to the point where I realized that my route to everything so far to get to veterinary medicine was going to be unconventional. And I had a friend who was doing dentistry out of the Czech Republic in the same city, it was a different university. And um I was just looking around at different options, whether I go to America, and there was one in the, the Caribbean, and then there was mm, one in Canada, yeah. Exactly. And then I was looking at one in, ones in Canada and see if I could get a scholarship there. I was just keeping all the options open. There was mm. one in Australia, and I thought, I don't really fancy traveling to Australia, thank you very much. Um, and then this opportunity came up in, in, in Europe. So I started to look at Slovakia and, and Budapest and, and the Czech Republic. And I had a distant family member. My uncle's wife is Czech, which is from that area. So I had a conversation with her, had a conversation. And then I think, I think when you start to get a little bit of context about a place, it just mm. started to come together. Mm. And then I, when I worked out that legally speaking, well, pre-Brexit, um, that I would be able to study. And then I found that I had a, a good exotics clinic. I just kind of was like, you know, you've never done anything in a straight line. Mm. you've not been given opportunities to do things in a straight line you've had to work like an absolute dog to get to this particular point mm. why wouldn't you look for, it's veterinary medicine is veterinary medicine you know wherever yeah. you learn it and so um i i went out there and kind of that's how i got got into it really and and that was that was it how about you Bolo? yeah mine is it's like similar in a way and then a little bit different as well <laughs> like um <laughs> like you say i've always always wanted to be a vet like that was my goal, and I'm sure, like for everybody, that's always the goal. You know, want to be a vet. I saw Steve Irwin. I've seen Dr. Doolittle. You know, I've seen all these things. Yeah, I want to the animals. I want to be there and in it. Um, and so, yeah, it was chasing that dream. And like from young, I remember like putting down the universities that I wanted to go to. And when I say young, I mean like year four, year five. I'd like kind of looked at the universities and like the requirements. And I remember because I remember looking at the university requirements, like, oh, okay, they need experience here and here. I was like, okay we're going to do this. I don't know when, but we're going to do it. And so that was like the younger me. This is like a nine, 10 year old me. Um, and so all of my life was kind of geared towards that whole veterinary medicine spiel, like, you know, so the work experience, the extracurricular activities, you know, taking science GCSEs instead of taking the arts to GCSEs, that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of it was kind of geared in that direction. And like you say, along those years, I'd accrued, like, I'd accrued about 52 weeks of work experience. So some of it was like, you know, it was, there were small animal practices. Um, there were uh, catteries, dog kennels. Um, I did some. I even did some work with RBC. Yeah, I did some work with RBC. Uh, I think it was was it was it is it a Hawks Hayes campus? I'm not sure, but it was like with one of the science labs. Like I think it was pathology and stuff like that. With one of the labs there, so that was cool. Um, what else I done? I done. Um, and then I worked on like you know animal yards and stuff like that, charities, the typical kind of stuff, just to be exposed to animals. And, I, and that was what, one of the ones that hurt me most because I was like. Um, with this charity for like six months and I'd go there after school on Wednesdays and Saturdays and like, you know, muck out stables and feed pigs and it'd be cold and it'd be snowing, your hands would be cold, but you still feed the pigs and the, yeah, so I had all that experience, you know, 
Um, and it comes to the point of applying. So, you know, you have your experience, had my A-level A level grade, my predicted grades at the time. Um, you know, I was deputy head boy. Uh, I climbed Mount Everest, we've done the Duke of Edinburgh stuff because um, I did Everest base camp. So I had all these, yeah, all the tick boxes and sort of, sort of thing. And tick, tick, tick. I remember like, you know, even my, yeah, my form tutors were telling me, oh, you'll be fine. I did a personal statement thing and sent it off to like, different admissions tutors and they were like oh yeah you'll be all right yeah you'll be you'll be fine i'm sure you, you have your four applications that you apply to and every single university rejected me <laughs> every single one just rejection 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 and i remember because you know everybody gets their rejections kind of early on um yeah. mine will take a little bit of time in the best space it takes a little bit of time before you get the rejections back so you're hearing back from them later you're hearing back in the may time no you're going to sit your exams in june or whatever and so I remember waiting for my last one and hearing it and seeing the rejection. I was just devastated. And I was like, oh, whoa, like, you know, my whole world's crashed. Like that was everything that I've been planning for since that young age. What do I do now? And so it was a lot of moping about on my behalf. Uh, I remember moping my dog, like taking my dog for a walk. Uh, I'm, I'm moping and like my head down and my mum coming out at the door saying, lift your head up. Stop. <laughs> Stop walking around your head down. Lift your head up. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and like, you know, and you know, so like, you know, time heals things. You do the exams and stuff like that. I got the exams. Didn't quite get the grades that I wanted because um, I decided, oh, okay, I'm going to go and do like a gap year in India or something like that. So I started the summer after I did the exams, the summer I spent in India for eight weeks doing veterinary work, with like small animal, large animal clinics as well. Um, and I came back for the exam dates and I can kind of remember the dates loosely. It's like August 25th was the exam uh, results dates. And so I came back for the results, saw the results. It wasn't quite what I wanted. I think it was AAB or ABB or something, something along those lines. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe we'll call clearance and see what's in clearance. There was nothing in clearance. So I was like, okay, maybe what I'll do is take a gap year, reset the exams, you know, and then come back stronger. Um, and then somebody must have said like I was kind of moping about it at the same time and then this was like a two-week period somebody must have said something to my dad about hungry or whatever and I remember crying about clearance not getting a place in clearance or whatever and my dad said look vets are everywhere in the world they need vets in Russia they need vets in South America they need vets in Africa they need there's vets everywhere and people study somewhere to go and get into this so you'll get into it and I was even talking about getting into like the horse physiotherapy and stuff I said no you're gonna do this vet medicine stuff and you're gonna do it <laughs> you're gonna do it um and so somebody said something to my dad about Hungary or something like that um and we travel as a family but I've never been to Hungary before uh and like you know they said okay there's a there's a university out there that does this vet medicine do you want to check it out and so my parents said okay go and do the research and see what you need to do and I was like okay well there's this form I need to do there's some exams I need to do I need to go and fly out and do an entrance exam so my parents were like okay well Ryanair were doing super cheap flights at that time they just sent me on my way because I'd, I'd gone away for India for this like eight weeks or whatever of summer so my parents were used to me just disappearing and like you know like bye <laughs> and then come back so so they were like well go to Hungary and figure it out and I was like okay and so like you know so I flew out there to do the entrance exam uh, I sat down, did the entrance exam, and I remember the examiner being like to me, and at that time I didn't know the examiner was the dean of the whole veterinary course, and I remember the examiner being like to me, oh yeah, so what are you going to do uh, about finding a place to stay or whatever, and I said, oh, if I get the place, if I get the position in the university, I'll look for a place to stay or something like that, and he's like, oh no, you've already got the place, and I was like, huh? And, and then, yeah, and then, but after that, it was all kind of like, it was all history, and so it was just six years of just, Boom, 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 one thing after the next. Like, and it was living in Hungary and six years later, you know, here we are, or oh, nine years later now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here we are. So that was, that might have like 
my trip into into Hungary but wow that's <laughs> so interesting that you both studied well technically concept to me because I'm in a London university so that's a UK university you both went abroad that's really interesting mm. when you were studying abroad were you the only BAME people at that university in the specific veterinary field or did was it because it was a international there were more diverse people I don't I'll kind of weigh in on that okay so not the only in that in that umbrella which is very wide mm. then no technically but if we're talking about visi visibly being uh, non-white or non-white passing, yeah. then essentially yes, for at least three years. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I was in my third or fourth year, there was another um, uh, West Indian uh, parent with a uh, British parent, so mixed guy that came in, um, who joined. And then the same year or the year after that, um, there was this guy that I actually helped mentor to get in from from uh, India um, and helped him get in because the I'm not sure about Budapest, but the application for these different they're all usually under some different agents. Mm -hmm. So Budapest will have a different person that manages yeah. that. And then my uni had a several different universities. So they, they had Milan Medicine and then they had, you know, Berno Veterinary Medicine, but they didn't deal with the medicine course. So my agent was was the ages I had to use to get into my university was a little bit odd. He manages uh, Warsaw for veterinary medicine and they were like trying to push me to Warsaw. Now, no, 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 I'm not really trying to cast aspersions about Warsaw, but it wasn't particularly a, a very welcoming place uh, for me to really go to. I'm not saying Czech Republic is, is, is heaven on earth, but the last place I really wanted to go to was Warsaw for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, Again, uh, that that process was uh, a little bit a little bit awkward. How about you? But you said you just flew out, didn't you? Bono, you just kind of I just, got yeah, so I, the test. Mine on, yeah, mine was on a very big limb. Like it wasn't as prepared and structured. So it was like that twenty. It was like I said, the exam season. The exam results were twenty fifth of August, um, and I think semester in Budapest started sixth of September. And I flew out at some point in between. Yeah, and I was somewhere in between, and I remember doing the exam somewhere in between. I was like, oh, well, term starts next week, and I was like, huh? And I hadn't told any of my friends that I was doing <laughs> So I like, kind of flew back to England for the weekend, packed, or, packed my bags into like a little stroller, like, you know, the hand luggage for Ryanair, went back to Budapest, and I was staying in a hostel for the first two weeks of university, and I remember being late to lectures and stuff like that, because I was in this crazy hostel on the other side of the town that was far from the university, and trying to, like, organized this chaos um, and with like only like you know five pieces of clothing to my name <laughs> and yeah so I, it was very I had the same thing I had yeah. the same thing I when I did my entrance exam no word of, because of basically now I thought it was because of my agent but maybe it's just universal but my agent who managed it um, I did an entrance exam and the papers didn't get to the university at the right time yeah and so we had this big like rigmarole around getting the papers and them not receiving it and me being past the deadline or whatever so yeah. they so when i was when it was really late i said look i've applied i've paid my money to try and get in and you've seen that i paid my money but i haven't done this exam so and they were like okay come out and fly on this day so i flew out did the entry exam on friday the semester started on monday and i went how does this work? <laughs> like what? What would what, 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 what do you mean? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, so, so that weekend, my mom flew out with me. 
Now, I, I brought extra things because I didn't know how long I was going to be there for all the paperwork. So I had about a week's worth of stuff. And she, they were like, yeah, it's on Monday. So I did the exam on Friday. They did me a niceness and marked it. Realised I actually did really well in the exam. I got in. Um, then the same day I contacted, uh, we had like a pizza or whatever to celebrate. The next morning at 8 a.m., 8 we went to the, like, like, you know, an agent to look for um, for accommodation. Spent the, looked at three different places, accepted the second place, moved in the same day, got the keys. Then on Sunday, we got, we went to Ikea. And at, as, as soon, we were there at the door, basically. Yeah. Bought like a year's worth of Ikea stuff so I could move into the place. My mom flew back on the Sunday and a very disheveled, scared looking Fabian turned up to a lecture on Monday morning. And that's how I started my university. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. You both had a weekend to like mentally prepare for just starting mentally prepare, yeah. yeah. And, and just it was so funny. No, go for it, go for it. <laughs> like, we, what, because I turned up so late, there was like this introduction course, like to get you used to what to yeah. expect. And, and so everyone had done that. It was me and like one other person who'd flown out late who hadn't done that. So I turned up all these people, Swedes, Norwegians, Finnish, oh, Ic Icelandic, exactly. Israeli, exactly. Greeks, Germans, exactly. Dutch, <laughs> Italians, exactly. all yeah. were like chummy chummy. And there was me like just boxing in this like very lanky, scared looking person with like bags down to here like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That is legit how mine went because, like I said, like you, when you talk about when you ask about the BAME, uh, the BAME question, then it's like, yeah, in my, at that particular time in my year, I was the only black person that was that was there. So I kind of, I remember walking in late into this introductory class. Well, it wasn't even the introduction; it was like introductory anatomy. It was like the first anatomy lecture, and me and one other girl who um, is Greek, and we both walked in late. And then I remember walking in and just seeing like you know, everybody in this lecture hall and it's like this thick old school communist kind of lecture hall. And like, you know, it's about seven rows deep that are almost going to like a vertical ascent. And you, you walk in there and you're like, whoa, there's everybody here and there's not a black face amongst it. <laughs> and I just walk in about it and you can kind of see, you're going to feel all this gaze just kind of heavily glued onto you. And you're like, oh, and you're just like, hi everybody. And, <laughs> and then you just kind of squeaking away through the Norwegians and the Swedes and the, and the, and the Germans, everybody. So it was, yeah. Um, I mean, and it was a diverse group of us because we're, we're an international school. So, I mean, there were people from, we have, I don't know how it was in Czech, but we had um, a German course, an English course and a Hungarian course, okay? So the, 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 the Hungarian course, there was all taught in Hungarian. It was all the Hungarian students, you know, that come up there, their way from secondary school, etc. And uh, then German course, some Germans switch from university. They switch like in the first year and they come over to study in Hungary uh, as like an exchange kind of thing. And they finish their studies in Hungary or they do part of their studies in Hungary and then go back to Germany. Um, or they have the option to. And then there's the English course, which is the international course where literally we're just like a cesspit of different nationalities so we're like you know everybody's from everywhere so you know there's Lebanese people, Cypriots, Greeks, um, you know there are some of the Germans on the English course as well uh, you know we've got the UK lot we've got the Irish there's a lot of, there's a big big Irish yeah. community in Budapest really big uh, obviously the Norwegian community is probably the next big one uh, you know Iraqis, Americans like everybody from everywhere but not any many vain people <laughs> so, so, so everybody was from everywhere but yeah it was just kind of like oh well this is cool <laughs> um, and yeah the rest is great but then later on 
there were some people that came in. We had some other people that came in, um, but like uh, that were like you know from different backgrounds as well, making it a bit more diverse. Um, but it did come to the point where I was kind of like a landmark in the school. It's like, oh yeah, that guy, the six or four black guy. <laughs> oh yeah, turn left. Him. <laughs> and you'll see the National Lecture Hall on the right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If you see the six foot four black guy, you've gone too far. Come back a bit. <laughs> and that was that was kind of how it went. But you know, it was it was absolutely fun, and it was like it was still an amazing experience. It didn't take. It was just like you know, one of those things where you step out of your comfort zone. But after a while, you realise that everybody's there for the same reason. We're all there to you know learn and stuff like that, and nobody really does care about <laughs> the colour of your skin. I mean, there's some people that might do, but yeah, you know. This is a great experience. We didn't stop anything. That's so cool. So do you think because you studied like away, like internationally, that that helped you more when you came back to like start working in practice? I would say yes. I think I think studying in those countries is very much a, a single swim energy to it, yeah. as in the fact that I mean, very is single swim for a lot of people anyway, but I think being abroad and having all of those things thrown at you at the same time uh, definitely enforces that. So a lot of people who found being there the first few is very difficult. Our dropout rate was somewhere, I think it was at least, I think we started with 60 and we ended with 30 of the original cohort. So 50% of my year like dropped out because I, I know from experience and from what I've heard from people still in the UK, there's, it is hard, don't get me wrong, but there's definitely an, a support network and there's an element of trying to support you where possible in the UK. Mm. It isn't like that out, out in yeah. the East. There yeah. isn't like that at all. It's like you, you get a certain amount of freedom. I mean, in the Czech Republic, you get a certain amount of freedom to do what the hell you want. As long as you turn up to the exam being knowledgeable, mm. that's it. You know, we're not going to follow you up. If you don't turn up to lecture, that's your problem. You're not going to be at seminar. That's your problem. Mm. Yeah. But if you turn up and you don't tell me that you know stuff, I will tell you that you don't know yourself and, and send you on your way and, yeah. and, and, and laugh at you on the way out. Like, it is very, it's, it's a very hard line approach. But yeah. what I think, and that's what that single swim, if you need a little bit of support and you need easing into it, it's not the place for you. Mm. But... If you are someone who likes to kind of get into it and is willing to graft um, in a very kind of like hardline way and but appreciates the kind of freedom that affords you as a result, mm. then it was really, really positive. And I think dealing with clients, like I did most of my like EMS because we don't have the same requirements. Yeah. Um, but EMS in the UK, I did most of it the PBSA and I had loads of different like really aggressive clients who you know would 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 kick off when I came back to the UK to do experience, and it was normal because I had to deal with my lectures. Like if you if I can deal with my lecturers, I could deal with anything that you bring to the table because that is what it is like. It is it, it, there's no there is no messing around at all, and I think in that sense yeah. it did prepare me. But for some people, it was very heavy handed. Yeah, and yeah. and so in some senses people were left a little bit traumatized a little yeah, bit for lack of better words um, but it, you know it's i mean i'm, I'm sure bolu <laughs> clearly agrees it's, it's so many it's so many parallels like it's so many parallels because i guess i don't know maybe it's an eastern european thing um you know there is that kind of stereotype they were a little bit colder and firmer over there yeah and it's true you know there's a bit more hair on the chest and deeper voices out <laughs> you know you know you know um 
you kind of go out there and it is no, the university is no, there's no molly cuddling about it. There's no hand holding. All the, I, like, when I hear, heard that my friends got reading weeks and they have tutorials, like one-on-one tutorials and all these things. And I was like, what? What is it? Like, you know, we're having an exam like every, like, you know, every day and they're like, they're giving us dense amounts of lecture notes and course notes and things to get through and, and the amount of things and like what they expect of you. Like when I heard, when I first found out that, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm probably still still off, but that I think it's 60 or 70% is the first. And I was like, oh, wait, what? Like we had to, like there's some exams where they say you had to get like 95% in order to continue. Like, you know, they were like, you have to get, you have to get 90%, you have to get all this 60, 70, 60% or whatever would be, I can't remember how our grades were, but they were like one, two, three, four, five. And like, I feel like 60% was, was like a yeah. two. So that's like a pass. That's just about a pass. <laughs> Whereas like a four and a five, you want to be getting a four and a five. And those are like the nineties, the high nineties. And like a difference between a four and a five might be 90% to 95%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like really tough kind of things. Um, and they'd make you do all these different exams. And like Fabian said, there's a freedom to it, but it's at your own, it's at your own cost. You know, it's like what you, like what you put into it is what you yeah. get back. So if you're going to sit down and lounge around and expect to pass, yeah, you know, it takes on you. So, and it was just kind of very intense. You have to structure your learning, figure out what you want to get out from it and then put it in. So yeah, it does kind of help with that, that same mentality coming in. I think I, I, when I worked out how many exams and like credit tests, which are like mini tests I did, I think I worked out I'd done in six years nearly 300 tests different individual tests um yeah, and, I wouldn't be surprised. And because no because i think i worked out and then of that and then, and then again like 40 different oral exams individual oral exams so mm-hmm. it was when you're when you're being like it's attacked as a word it's quite a violent <laughs> amount of number when you say that, like I, I'm, I'm trying to find the the words to, the language to explain how many times you go into an, I remember one week, my first year, right? And um, my first year, I completely destroyed myself to try and make sure I was on point, right? Because this yeah. is the thing I've been working for my whole entire yeah. life. Like, I was going to let it go. Exactly. And I think I had, before our exam period, because I had two, I mean, I'm not sure if it's the same, but I had two main semesters. We'd do little tests throughout this. And at the end of it, you had two periods, like exam mm. periods. like yeah. So the second semester, just before the end we had like we had all these different exams and they all coincided with one week and i remember one in one day i had four exams completely different um disciplines and that week i had 12 exams in total and i just remember thinking to myself like i'm not sure i remember what before one exam i pulled out this powerpoint for like i don't know i don't i don't know what it was it was like a histology credit and i was like 40 slides like smashing through different histology slides Right, okay. What's that? I don't know that. And and the exam was like five minutes away. And I just from it's just the energy there is just exams, exams. If after you've done your exams, you can do what the hell you want. Like, yeah, and it felt like being on holiday because you're in another country. So you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to Vienna for lunch, you know what I mean? I'm gonna yeah. go to Prague for yeah. the weekend because exactly. it's up the road. You yeah. know, it is you know, and it is that it is that energy ent- entirely, but it's just when you're in the middle of it, it's ruthless. And I, I, you know, I remember after all my first year exams, 
I, and I tell this story all the time, it was like just before I decided to make training vet. After first year, I did my histology, histology exam because I'd killed myself to do that exam. Mm. I sat in a room and ate Subway, nothing but Subway, breakfast, lunch, dinner for three days. Three days, I just sat there looking absolutely confused, lost, like you found me in you know the lost section of a very dusty looking store. And I sat there and ate Subway for three days because I just thought to myself, what's just happened? And it is, it, that is the energy they want from you. You did the exam, yeah. you passed the exam. After you're done, I don't care. I don't care if you're gonna sit in your room three days and, and, and just breathe, you know, and get yourself on a ventilator. They don't care. But once you've done it's that, kind of like you've... That, that fox on the edge of the bed, the disheveled <laughs> fox on the edge of the bed, <laughs> they're like, what happened? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> because that, that's exactly what it is. And that, as you're saying it, it's just, it's realizing that that was something that I used to always describe to my friends when I come back, came back from university was that Hungary, and I guess it's Eastern Europe, is very yeah. academic. It's very knowledge-based. It's very, these are the books you need to know. There's no excuse why you shouldn't know it. And mm. know it inside and out. And it, that's how they treat the exams. Like you have these oral exams and you know you do these oral exams and it's like 250 topics. And they will have a topic list and it might be 250 topics. And you pick out, you have, they have the cards on their desk and you have to pick out three of these, three of these topics. And then you'll see it and it will say like, you know, it will say something stupid. Like, I don't know even how to even explain it. It might just say, I can't, oh, the silly topics like oh, production of production of eggs and geese, and and this and that, and then this and there's just three randomly jumbled topics, and then you now have to sit in front of the lecturer. You have he gives you ten minutes to write down on a piece of paper, you gather your thoughts, and then you sit in the lecturer, and now he starts asking you, okay, talk to me about this topic, and you just have to start. And he's not asking you questions, just waiting for you to finish. And then when he when he finishes, like oh, on your first topic, you missed out about this, this, this. Can you elaborate? Da, 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 da. And that's how it was. And sometimes, yeah. like Craig said, you'd have more of these exams in one day. You might have anatomy one day, animal husbandry, botany, and uh, I don't know, like zoology. And then you just do it all in that one day because also there was this thing of when we arranged our exams, we had to book online on, through like a website called Neptune. Uh, and we all race to try it like, because you log in, it's a free-for-all. It's like, a, it's like a, and the, the internet crashes and it's a free-for-all because everybody's trying to get earlier dates because the earlier you do your exam dates, the earlier you can fly home, so some people would do early dates, but you'd plan your dates because you don't want to be stuck with the crap dates or like certain exams back to back. And you plan like, you know, maybe I want to do my anatomy and biochemistry first because they're the big ones and then do the smaller ones after. Um, so you'd plan your dates, but sometimes you're going to be lucky and you'd have some big exams just back to back to back with no space to revise in between. Um, and so you'd have all these different exams. I remember like my botany, one of my botany finals, we, in part of the final, the teacher had like, I don't know, a collection of 70 different grasses, legumes, seeds, everything. And he'd pull out a seed and he'd be like, okay, what's the seed and what's this fact? And you'd be like, oh, that is uh, the white lupin. And you have to say the Latin name and you'd be like, oh, it has this toxin and this one's like, you know, oncotoxin. And, and you'd be like, oh, like, you know, the stuff of recognizing ferns. And, and I was like, I will never ever look at this grass and be like, yeah, this is uh, alfalfa. Well, to be fair, you know and then we're like oh yeah the calcium to phosphorus ratio in alfalfa hay is x y and you know you really have to know all this stuff I mean, we're talking i'm talking about i've been in this university for six months and i <laughs> this sort of stuff and it was like it was such a big shock and it was such a big shock to the system that yeah some people thought it very traumatic and after the exam season you'd really want to let loose um but yeah it's one of those things i guess like it's a different kind of person that when you go through all that stuff and yeah. you make it out the other end, you know the kind of person you are. And, 
and it does kind of mold you into the kind of vets that we are today and you know the kind of stuff you have to experience because the real veterinary world is a bit like that it is a bit like here you go i was describing it to students the other day i was describing it to students the other day was um like becoming a vet and the the jump from graduate to new grad this is the analogy i always use is kind of like everybody's done their driver's license you pass your driving test and you're able to drive fantastic and you go on the road for the first time and it's a bit intrepid because you're driving it's like oh my god but from new grad to vet is like you pass your driver's license and then they give you a formula one car and they let you out on the tiny little streets of the road you're like wait hold on which one's the indicator button again uh, how do we do this <laughs> wait it's a formula one car why is it when i press the get oh it's going so fast it's 200 miles per hour and it's a 20 mile per hour road what am i doing like you know and it's like it's like a formula one car and you know all the all the uh, the steering wheel is just the little gear sticks and like buttons and you're like this is not what i learned in my job and you're just trying to figure that out and that's legit what, I, what it felt like for me at least of being new grad and then coming into the real world because all of a sudden it's like here you go responsibilities on you now you know you gotta make the decisions and that was my that was that big thing of coming to grips of like um uh, like you there's a couple things that i had to kind of face when you finish the finish the course you finish studying greatly medicine it's that thing of okay now whatever i say is kind of taken as bible like when i talk to people you know people are expecting me my knowledge they come to me and wanting knowledge from me and they're seeking it from me and when you're left in a practice and you know maybe you're a bit more independent in some places and you might not have some like greater mentors and things like that in the in the workplace you just people are looking to you for answers their dog is sick and they're looking they don't care if it's your first day they want to know what's up and so it's like you know okay here we go and so that was like one of those things i had to face with face is that okay people are going to want answers from me but not only that whatever i say one is recorded and two it's like i have to know what i'm talking about i could tell people brush a dog's teeth with carrots every day because it's good for dental hygiene and they'll believe me but i have to make sure i'm saying the right stuff you know so it's that sort of thing you, you could say whatever you want i could say get a baby white and you know and people will say oh well it's coming from an authoritative perspective so he must be right but it's so easy for you to feel that like you could lead somebody astray. And mm. so you you reflect on that and like, okay, I'm gonna make sure the knowledge that I'm putting out there is correct. But it's one of those things that you have to come to grips with when you go making that transition from graduate to new grad is that, okay, I can't just say stuff off the cuff anymore. Yeah. You can't just blag something and be like, oh, well, yeah, um, uh, dogs have six toes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you know, you really have to give them the answer they're looking for, or at least, the truth i don't know and that's another big powerful thing as well that i think a lot of people will take advantage as well just the truth of being able to say look this is out of my depth let me refer you or you know let me discuss this case with a colleague and people appreciate the honest honesty more than anything but i think i'm skipping a big chapter of going from university <laughs> <laughs> to New i was gonna say well my next question is you kind of talked about it what was your first job like so you just graduated and then you was your first job in the uk did you come back to the uk as your first like grad job my first job is still my my current job um so one thing that i never thought was possible was going straight into exotics mm. um and so which is amazing that's really amazing <laughs> that's awesome um, um yeah no it was it, i just didn't think it was it was possible because i'd always been told by uk vets yeah it's something you develop you know you don't do much exotics uh, at undergrad and 
if you're still interested, then you develop it and you go and do specialisms and you get yeah. it, or you go straight into internship. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do that because the money was uh, embarrassing for six years of study. So I was just like, I'm not doing that. Um, but I, because I went to, I mean, how I got into exotics is a little bit weird because I always liked exotics. I didn't think it was possible. And so my final year, we have a lot of choice over our final year exams. I'm not, it probably is the same in Budapest. So we have two compulsory exams that you have to do, which is infectious diseases and like meat and milk hygiene. That's the things I had to do. And then I had complete choice over what other modules I did. So I chose originally, I was going to do a, uh, a thesis in like uh, new ways to approach cranial cruciate ligament disease, yeah. clinical pathologies. Yeah, and then small animal, small animal medicine. And then because of some politics in the university, which is always something that you always don't think should be an issue in a vet uni, like it's a vet uni, like, but there was some politics over my thesis because my course leader was going, was, was having some issue and he was considering whether he was going to stay in the university or something. So I got the funding, but then they canceled my thesis. And so I, so last, so I done half the research for it, but then I was kind of left in the dark about doing the rest of it. So then I was like, well, what's available? And exotics was there. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to get a job in exotics, but I love exotic uh, medicine. Um, and because I really wanted to be ready for day one and I knew I was going to go into smallies. Um, and so I was like, let me do exotics and maybe I can go into a practice and do small exotic stuff and then consider if I want to do it later in life. So I did the, the rotation. The rotation was great. And part of my rotation, I had to do two weeks um, in a, a practice somewhere else, not in the university. And so I was looking around, I was looking for zoos, the Czech Republic, so I didn't really fancy traveling back. It turns out that everything was booked up or whatever. So I looked in Birmingham and I got an opportunity to go and see practice, uh, uh, an exotics practice. And um, we just hit it off really well. I had I was a lot better than I thought I was when it came to exotic animal knowledge for a new grad, and they they really responded well to that. And so that's and that's why I ended up getting my my plate. So I did my small animal rotation, most of it there as well. And so I went into that, and within like the first day, I was already doing small like kind of exotics things. Um, and that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that rotation mm. at the university, which is very odd. For most universities to allow anyway and so I, I that was my first transition I remember my first day I'd done something of, it's weird actually Bollard me and you have so many similarities because I actually did yeah I went to I went to India and did a two-week um, animal birth control course with the WVS so um, it was weird you mentioned the whole India situation because I, I did something similar in my between fourth and fifth year and so I had surgical capability like day one so yeah. they, the first day they were like, yeah, we're going to wean you into this process. You know, we see a very, a variety of different animals here. And the first day they were like, supposed to, oh, let's just get you on vaccination, see how you get on. And I remember doing like nine or 10 consults um, my first day. And the second day I did four surgeries. And I was like, you guys, like, where is the weaning? <laughs> where is the transition? <laughs> Who was weaning? Exactly. So, um, but my first, the first transition into to that was very strange because I didn't really, you don't, when you're in exotic, you don't really have time to settle into anything. So you are still, you still have to be a bookworm anyway when you start, but really I was seeing everything and that was my first foray. And it still is because like I said, like currently 
there's not many exotic options and I love exotic I can't see my life doing anything but exotic mm. to a really big part of it and where am I where am I going to go I'm going to have to I would have to move to London if I was going to do that you know um, I wouldn't want to move anywhere else so I'm kind of here still that's really interesting strange how did you what's your first job like my first job kind of thing yeah i'm in my second job now um but my first job was yeah it was like i said that was the best way for me to start i actually came up with that analogy when i was at my first job of the whole (laughs) driving license and going into a formula one because it was very much that i was like oh i passed vet school wait i'm a vet oh my god like you know and everything hit me at once because um i graduated like end of february i think it was and I'd already organised, with my last semester and the EMS stuff, I'd already organised to start at this practice. I'd been in talk to the practice and start with them, I think it was 8th of March. For some reason, dates just stick into my head like that. But yeah, 8th of March. And um, yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. So I finished in Budapest, had a bit of a party with my friends, all that sort of stuff. Last goodbyes. All right, flying back to England. The Monday, I'm going to start work. And boom, it was just kind of come to work. And I remember... They're like, oh well, here's the uh, emergency exit, da, 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 safety stuff, blah, blah. Oh, can you do a bitch brain? I was like, I know the theory. Um, I could do it, and I'm a confident. And then like, I could. I was like, okay, here you go. <laughs> and so, literally, that was that was my description. Is my my that was my first within like the first two hours of me being there. I was ready. Boom, into the theater you go, and this is by myself. <laughs> so, in the theater, I went with the with the bitch brain. Um, I had the bitch on the table and I was like, whoa, because I remember the vet, the vet that was actually in charge, she was supposed to do that up that day, she was like to me, okay, um, what do you know about this? And I'm very surgically inclined. I love surgery. Like I had a surgical teacher um, in like my fourth year of uni and he really inspired me because the way he used to talk about the body and anatomy and, and surgery, I was like, yeah, this guy's cool. I like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I want to be like that. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, everything surgical was like my thing. I really loved surgery and I like to like memorize surgical steps. And so I remember she pulled me aside and she was like, okay, so how would you approach a bitch brain? I was like, okay, cool. So midline incision, you know, <laughs> you know, midline incision, open up, cut through the linear alba, you're inside the peritoneum, you know, you're looking for the ovaries. And then I say, blunt dissect the, blunt dissect the suspensory ligament, free the ovary, blah, blah, blah. So I'd walked her through all the steps and she, there were obviously bits where I was saying stuff a little bit wrong. And she's like, okay, no, don't worry. Yeah, just do that instead. It's like, okay, yeah, cool. And this is just the talk through run through. And she's like, oh, well, I think you can do it. So I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go down and do my consults. And then uh, you did. I was like, huh? Where? Who? And, you know, you get a little bit of a chill. And I was like, well, come on, let's do this. Okay. So and I went in there and I did it. Um, and I started doing the bitch spray. Uh, don't let me fool you. I still, I remember my first seven bitch sprays. And I tell this to every time I have students inside. Um, in the practice with me or if they're like you know ems students that come to work and see see stuff I, and i'm probably operating at the same time when they're asking me stuff and i always say this, i still remember my first seven because there was always something that was going that didn't go how i wanted to go like i was like oh, oh and this this one this is my very first one and i remember it happening um and i was closing um and oh you know you're closing the vessels and things like that and then you know things don't necessarily go smooth and it's like oh could you get the other bed in just to kind of check just to make sure that everything's okay and she came and she like helped me out like right at the right at the end kind of like a, as a buzzer a buzzer as a buzzer blue kind of thing um and just kind of closing up and then I had that and then I ended up doing like two consults after that and then one of the other vets was like to me hey would you want to come with me on a house visit to do a, a euthanasia and I was like I mean okay um and like yeah and so it was like my first day was 
Bitch Bay consults house visit euthanasia come back and I was like I don't even know how to use the system to write notes <laughs> like, I, how does it, how does it, and literally from there it was boom and it was mixed practice um it was in Kent where I where I live um and it was mixed practice and so I told them when I joined them I wanted to do mainly small animal because that's my preference I do small animal but at the same time I was studying for my American qualification uh, the European Commission of foreign veterinary graduates um, and so I was studying for that and so I had large animal knowledge in my head and I didn't want to let it recede because I was studying heavy for the Navli and these other mm, towns yeah. as well. so I would hang around when they did large animal stuff I'd be like oh what are you guys doing with that goat oh that's a pig mm, tell me more and then you know I'd just be about it I'd help out and do stuff but I was mainly small animals I did not small animal stuff um, and yeah it was just kind of one thing after the next and the thing about it is that because I remember talking with the owner at the time and he was like, you're very confident. And I, I, I remember saying that in my interview, actually. I remember that was the thing that I was telling them when I was trying to get the job is that I'm very confident. I'm confident in a lot of things that I'll do and I'm a confident person. But as a confident person, like I'm happy to get on with stuff, but I need somebody to tell me if I'm doing something wrong because mm. my confidence will lead me to the point of, now I understand that I've got the terminology. The terminology is kind of confirmation bias. My confidence will lead me to the point of where okay, I'll just keep doing it, but I won't know I'm doing something wrong, but I might yeah. be getting the right result in the end, you know, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? But like you're doing something consistently and you're getting the right results, but you could be doing a better job, you know, mm. but you're just getting, you're getting a result. The animal's getting better, but you could have done this instead, you know, yeah. it's like giving antibiotics for enough to the stomach. The animal might get better, but that's not necessarily the first way you should go. Like, yeah. why are you going to go and just give like a broad spectrum antibiotics straight away? So it's that sort of thing of like, I, and that's what I told him. I was like, I'm confident enough to get on with it. Like, fine. If you're not going to give me support, it's okay. Like, if if I can't get full support, that's all right. But I need somebody to at least pop in and tell me, like, you know, do this instead, or you can do this better, or you're doing this wrong, or something. And it was there or not. And that's what the boss was saying at the time. That it's this kind of fine line of you want to support graduates, but you also don't want them to become so clingy that every two seconds asking you, oh, but what do you think? And oh, um, excuse yeah. me, can I help? opinion and can I connect because they need to get on with it and yeah. I think that world especially I think now we're starting to adjust and uh, accommodate for people's mental health and things like that as well but especially like the older school vets are very from a, a place of we grafted to get here we learn you're making mistakes and you have to see it through and you'll become better from it yeah. but in reality that's what causes trauma because because like you know that first bitch break could go horribly wrong and that's what turns people away from surgery for the rest of their lives you know and it will still give that intrepidation and that's why there's a lot of vets that might say oh I, bitch break, I don't want to go near it but you know like because you get that one traumatic experience because somebody might have told you just to get on with it or you'll be fine or I'll be all right and all of a sudden that's like something's gone wrong and you don't know how to handle it and then that's the thing that you know makes or breaks people in that it's a real test of character yeah uh, you know and sometimes surgeries like that i think that's probably my, why, I, why i like surgery because medicine's one side of there's a slow burn to medicine you can prescribe drugs and stuff like that but sometimes you might not see the effects unless you're doing emergency critical care you, you might not see the effects for maybe a month maybe two weeks something like that, you might not see the, the, the effect. And so sometimes some people might say, I feel comfortable with medicine. Not necessarily because of that, but sometimes because of that, you, you know, delayed results. It's kind of like, oh, well, this time the body's doing its thing in the background. Also the, the, the drug's doing its thing in the background. Ah, we'll see what happens in two weeks time. Surgery is very 
cutting an artery, the blood's hitting the ceiling. You're like, <laughs> like you know, it's very right there. And the dog's, you know, the dog might crash under anesthetic, or there's something happening, or you know, you've done something wrong, or you put it's very then and then, so you have to really make that decision. And that's part of the thing that you know can make or break people at a time. You really test your character, that sort of thing. I do love surgery, but also it is a very fine line that you're always teetering when you're by yourself and you don't have the safety net of like you know of of the the great yeah. specialist behind you or the really experienced vet behind you that that idea of being by yourself is very mm. daunting and that's yeah. that first that's that first experience and that's why i compare it to the formula one because even like my first cat castrate i remember doing the next day i did my first cat castrate and i remember like waking up in the middle of the night and everybody knows cat castrates are pretty straightforward but i remember waking up in the middle of the night like oh he's bleeding out he's bleeding out he's bleeding out he's <laughs> and I'd, I'd, you know i'd sweat and i'm like oh uh, what happened? Oh, maybe I didn't tie the knot fully. Uh, Meanwhile, I, like things I know now is that the animal was fine during recovery. It was fine when it went home. It was, you know, it was bright. It was alert. It was showing all these signs. But in in my head, certain things were just missing because I hadn't checked all those things mm. at that time. You know, you kind of just do stuff and get on. I'd wake up in the middle of the night like, oh, um, <laughs> the cat is really. I need to go. And I'll go the next day like, have they called? Have they called? Have they called? Is the animal still? Is the animal still alive? Is the, you know that sort of thing. And then you know after a while you start to understand what you need to do to, to check stuff and also to be able to relinquish some of that anxiety and fear and let it, let it go because knowing that you've done a good job. Like I always say it in my surgeries whether I have my students there, senior or students in there, and I'm saying, look, I like to tie two ligatures in some places, or I will double secure a knot because that lets me sleep at night. Because yeah. at the end of the day, what happens is you start to go over things in your head when you're not there. And when you're not there, you can't do anything because you're not there anymore. <laughs> so it's better to have a process in your mind and go through it and say, look, I'm gonna tie this, I'm not gonna let anybody say, I'm gonna make a big incision so I can make sure I can see things. You know, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna tie this knot because at the end of the day, those are things I'm gonna think about in my head when I go to sleep at night and I wanna be able to sleep like a baby. I don't wanna be waking up like, oh, did I tie a second knot? How tight was that knot? At least I know if my first knot wasn't that great, my second knot was better, um, you know, and I checked for bleeding. Did I check for bleeding? Did I check all four quadrants? Fantastic. Or did I do this? Did I, did I check the bloods? Did I report this? You know, but making sure everything is methodical. It's kind of like a due diligence, a due process, that kind mm -hmm. of thing that is methodical. So that if I ever, for me to be able to handle it later and to release that anxiety, that's what I need to do in yeah. terms of accepting it. That okay, I did what I need to do. It's okay. good. Like you know, we're, we're we're good. I don't I don't need to sweat it. Don't don't sweat. It. Don't worry about the cat um bleeding out and that because you tied seven ligatures and you make sure because <laughs> you sung happy birthday for one two three. <laughs> but you know that's that sort of thing. You know so so all those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, like that was what my experience my first job and. Yeah, then I had a little bit of a hiatus and I've now kind of, I moved house, I moved out of my family house and I moved to London. Um, and I started, I started, I've started in this practice in London and now I'm like working Soul Charge, which is like, it was kind of a step I was like, am I, am I really ready for Soul Charge? Like, ready? but then after experiencing everything, everything I experienced in the last practice and because it wasn't in a rural area, you get a lot of crazy cases. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I can handle most things that get thrown my way. I think to be fair, and honestly, most people probably could as well. They just don't necessarily believe in themselves enough. But that's where my little like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm confident. Ah. <laughs> and, and then I get there like, oh, mom. <laughs> so, so yeah. But um, you know, it was a big step, and it's going great. Touch wood. Like, I mean, you know, you, like Fabian said before, it's kind of like 
you you get used to a lot of things and you start thinking, okay, what's next? Is there more? Where do we go now? Like, you know, and my whole thing is I've always wanted to do internship residencies. Like I said, I was trying to go into America. Um, I was actually I was actually planning to be in America this time, this year. Um, but COVID, like, you know, COVID, and that's a big thing for that's a big thing for plans. That's yeah, like we I think we're we're in a vein of I'm going on for so long, but like we're on we're in a vein of like a community where we all think five years ahead sort of kind of thing sometimes you know you have all these plans and all the structure you want to do and COVID was like a big testament of well I see your plans but this is what we're doing here <laughs> and COVID really showed us <laughs> showed us the ropes like okay well step aside you're gonna have to sit on your ass for a little while mm-hmm. and it was like okay now what and then it makes you slow down and it makes you assess things and it's like okay maybe you don't have to rush to America mm. Know, um a big part of me is now starting to accept that this profession especially like as much as we rush to get things done and get things under our belt this profession is very much about paying your dues yeah yeah you pay your dues you have to do your time like you know the one bad day that you've had in your two years your three years or the five bad days that you've had the vet that's 20 years in this game has had you know five times those bad days and they've had five times those strange cases you know five times those difficult clients they've been around the park and that's that's what they call experience that really ah you've really been here and done that Mm. cool like you know that's that's how you respect it and that's why when i look at some of these people like like i said my goal is specialized but you look at some of these specialists and you look at their their history and they say five years general practice or six years in emergency because you know that's so long how are they doing that why not just go internship but it passes like that Mm. but those five years is is the experience it's those bad days the good days the difficult clients the the cases you struggled with the patients that may not have made it the patients that made it all of it is like this big database that you're sitting on Mm. so that fundamentally you just become better at that time and and when you get to the point that you want to get to you will become you know better at that time and well worth it so yeah I don't know where I went on that tangent, but that was really interesting. I want to kind of move on because you both have like public vet Instagram accounts. So why did you feel like that was something that you wanted to do? Was that like a specific decision, or were you just kind of like, oh, I think this is really cool. I want to share it with people. Well, I think for me, coming back to what I mentioned earlier, I the context of where Dreddy Vet started was I did. My first year of being, like I said before, I destroyed myself, like really destroyed myself to be top student. Yeah. And I'd waited so long for this opportunity. Yeah. I wasn't going to let anyone take it. I worked ridiculously. I, I was the person who would be going to other people's lessons, you know, and seminars where I could and ask the teacher, beg the teacher, can I come into and, and do the lesson again, you know, and do all of that type of thing. And I did that for a year. And my grades were flawless, but I, and I did all my exams. And like I said, I, after my last exam, I ate Subway in a quiet room, watched TV. And I don't remember it. It was just this kind of glazed. I was just, a, I, was, I was pretty much in a Fabian induced in coma for three days. <laughs> and I was sponsored by Subway. And after, this, after that lifted and I'd, I'd realized there was sun outside, I said to myself, I've got these grades and what does it mean? No one's gonna ask me when they come into a vet clinic what grade I got in my anatomy yeah. exam. No one's gonna ask me about 
how many extra lessons of histology? No one's going to ask me that I managed to teach some of my colleagues some topography of the name. No one's going to ask. It's for what? And so I realized at that point that, again, I don't do things in straight lines. I've got to do something which is bigger than just, because there's going to be people who are interns and specialists and have done nothing but veterinary medicine and are always going to be better at me than something else. And I'm not a competitive type of person. I'm the least competitive person ever. So doing all of that, what what actually, what value do I get from veterinary medicine which I can attach to myself? Mm. And so I decided I wanted to create a space, not for anyone else, but mainly for me, that I could do something where I could either share something or just do something that was a little bit different. So initially, Dreddy Vet was just a... And maybe a week later was just a vessel for me to um, create something which made me connected to the actual the, the course a bit more than just I need to pass. I'm a robot. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so I did like opinion pieces, and um, I went to like Royal Ascot, which was like a whole welfare thing, like horse racing. And so yeah. I did what well, I did like videos on that. And then I was talking about like third year, I was talking about animal slaughter and religious slaughter and the politics of that. Yeah. Um, and then I had some cases and then I would, I went on Twitter and like asked some of the other vets that I was relatively big at the time and like other vet students and like, I have this toxicology case and it's like this little project for me. What are your opinions? And they would give me kind of real, real responses to what I would do in the future. So it was just a really good way for me, a vessel for me to do something that felt wide as opposed to the binary of exams yeah and then it developed into actually people were investing not so much in me going i have this case it was very much we like your take on it expand on this and you know you've and i started to write opinion pieces and i started to comment on things that happened in the veterinary community and i remember one um i had this wordpress which is still up and I had London Vet Show, we're just starting this newspaper for, and they do it twice a year, but usually just before London Vet Show. Mm. And they were like, we're looking for bloggers. Da, 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 da. So, um, or to write a piece, because I was just looking to make it. And so I said, look, I can write you one. Um, and so I wrote one and they were like, oh, I actually really like this piece. And so I wrote another one and I wrote another one and I wrote another one and I wrote another one. And so I had the WordPress and London Vet Show. And then, it just really expanded from there. So by the time I graduated, Dreddy Vet had already been a brand in inverted yeah. commas for five years already. And by the and and via that, I'd already started to get interest from like media, like companies, like TV companies saying, Oh, your name says vet. We know you're a vet student, but are you interested in when are you graduating? Can we keep you on file? Da 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 da. And and oh, we're doing you know uh, a, a congress. Can you do some media work for us? And so the media side kind of grew with that. And so being public by the time I graduated was just like it was a great opportunity because now I was, I was finally a vet. Um, and it's just kind of kind of, kind of grown from there. I, it's it's not that it was an active decision initially, and I always had this idea that. You shouldn't get into doing something like this because you're going to be the next Noel Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Or you're going to be the next Bollin. 
You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, but I, but I really, I really mean that. Like it was, it was like if one person gets a little bit of value from it, great. But you, I started that entirely for myself. It yeah. really was yeah. for myself because it was an outlet. Because I, after the first year, I wasn't, I wasn't connected to the course because I destroyed yeah. myself looking for some feedback, and I got all these great grades, and I still didn't feel connected yeah. to the course. Yeah. Um, and it's ironic at the very point when I started to just do things for myself is actually when I got the most interest and it just kind of snowballed from there. And that's, that's where I'm at now. Oh, I can, I can, I, I can, I can relate to that because it's like, I mean, my account is a bit more junior in that sense. Cause like how you said before, I'm, I was very studious in, in uni. Like I was very, I'm very, I was very like, look, I'm here for one purpose. As much as I love being in Budapest and everything like that, I'm here for one purpose, and that purpose is I need to graduate, I need to get this learning degree and keep it moving. Like it's, it's the, that's the goal. And so it's nice to have all the distractions out there, and you know everything's fine, and you know there's there's so many wild times I can count back. But I'm here for a purpose, and let's not get, let's not get lost in the source. <laughs> like, let's, let's you know let's keep it pushing. And so um, for me, it was very I was very I'm very academic driven and so it was I was driven all the way and I, I didn't have like Facebook I didn't have Instagram at all I didn't have, have personal Instagram until I think I made my Instagram in fourth or fifth year of uni I think it was fifth year because I only made a Facebook account at that time because all a lot of our like resources. A lot of my colleagues were, yeah resources were being shared on Facebook I was like well I'm just missing out now at this point like before I used to get it from my friends and download it, I was like I'm just missing out at this point because there's so much information that I need to get access to it uh, and then the whole idea of the Instagram thing was like I used to talk to my vets about veterinary medicine I used to talk to my friends about it like just my friends from back home and they just didn't have a clue what a vet does they were just it was just all this arbitrary stuff for that. and I was like no that's not what's in veterinary medicine and so my whole thing creating my account was Again, like it was for me, it was a it, like, and I think it's still in my Instagram thing. I don't know, maybe I'll change it to public figure. I doubt I've done that. I don't think I'm there. I don't think I'm there. <laughs> but it's personal blog. You know, when Instagram allows you to choose like what your thing is, it's yeah. personal blog. And I think my first post might still be up. I don't know. Maybe might have deleted it in shame or something. <laughs> but it was, it was like my first post was literally I'm starting this account just to um, share what excites me about veterinary medicine and hope that it might just cause the same emotion in you. I feel very attached to that kind of feeling, especially when it comes into the creative sense of, of this feeling that something that evokes so much passion and excitement in me, hopefully if you see the world skewed through the lens that I see it, mm. maybe it might evoke the same amount of passion in you and who knows what, it, what, what trail it will send you. And it might just be that, you know, that, that match that lights and sets up a, a massive blaze. So I was just like, that was my whole purpose of starting my Instagram. And so, and I think my take was just a tiny bit like a tiny bit different in the sense of like I like the vet stuff, but then because I didn't have a personal Instagram, I was very like, my personal stuff's going on here too. And if you want to follow it, follow it. If you don't want to follow it, don't follow me. I don't really, I, you know, I'm not that fussed by it because I'm just going to be me because this is for me. It's a personal blog and a personal reflection thing. You know, sometimes I might post what I'm thinking or post what I'm reading or or you know something that I think might actually generally help somebody, or a piece mm. of something that I feel like generally motivates me, or a case that I found really interesting, or something that I wanted to share, and that's how it kind of started. And it was, you know, it was 
in social media, I guess when you start, you're kind of like finding your feet of what you like and what people engage with and what people respond to and sort of that sort of thing. And at that time, I was just posting posting everything that like you know I felt like because that was all the things that I was passionate about. Like I said, it became like it's just a mood board of what I felt passionate about. So with my travel, I post my travel and you know eating. I post what I eat and share. You know, I'd have I'd get up to all kinds of my stories. My stories used to be so active. <laughs> like I used to post all sorts of my stories. Like and. Um, and have so much fun and just be random. Like I used to have arguments about what goes first, like, you know, milk or the cereal in, in, the, in the bowl. So it was all these sorts of different things. And then I'd talk about cool veterinary cases and the stuff I'm learning from my Nabli and, you know, show x-rays x-ray of a snake. And it just became this thing of like, okay, well, this is, this is me. And this is how I navigate through the veterinary space as, as well as navigating through life. And this is how I'm putting it together. And I want to make it public because let it share and reach whoever it, it can reach because who knows that, you know, sometimes that, that connection is a two-way street. Somebody might feel a certain way from your post, do something, and then they might, again, give something back to you. And so like, it, comes, it comes all the way around. It comes full circle. And so that was what my Instagram was in my public kind of space. And, and my Instagram is still that. I'm just not as active on my Instagram now. Um, Mainly because it's kind of that this balance of uh, I talk about a lot about self-preservation and like I'm very I think we're in a job we're in a job where we have to be mentally fit yeah. a lot of the time and it's mentally taxing all the time like yeah. I always I always describe it to my friends when people always ask me like oh why was reading about I, I'm obsessed with psychology philosophy those kind of books and 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 understanding myself as well just kind of reflecting as to what I like and what I don't like and I always talk about like the example I give is I remember one time um going to work and doing my thing it used to be like a 45 minute drive to get to work and then i remember like not having my drink of coffee and i was getting there for i think 7 30 because i started at 8 and i was operating that day um and i get there at like 7 45 and as soon as i opened the back door the receptionist came and said bolu 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 a uh, puppy's been kicked in the head by a horse and i was like huh i haven't even taken a sip of my coffee and it, it just things were all all all, all systems go straight from the day and that's that's kind of like how every day is it's just you know, you just don't know what's going to hit you when you get through that door. And so my obsession became just being mentally fit and mentally yeah. ready. And it's kind of like, that's what my Instagram is kind of as well. It's just putting together these tools, but then also sharing. And then as the platform kind of grew and I knew it could reach more people, it then became sharing advice as well, because it was a space of, there may be veterinary professionals following me, but they also I have to remember that I'm trying to relate to the people that aren't veterinary. Mm. That was my whole thing in the beginning was my friends aren't veterinary. So the tips that I give them aren't, you know, where we are, we're in a position when you're, when you're getting to the doctor space, you're in a position of where you're a translator. You're the intermediary. You have yeah. to take all the big scientific jargon and be able to distill it so that everybody can understand it because yeah. if nobody understands it, then you've not done your job. Exactly. You, know, you can't pass. So you can't, nobody can, there's not good medicine anymore. Like, you know, because if you're, if they don't understand what you're saying, how are you going to do it? So that was that kind of thing. And being that intermediary to be able to share it. And that's kind of what my Instagram is. Like my TikTok is separate. <laughs> um, I don't even, my, my TikTok isn't even promoted on my um, on my Instagram because it was just me messing about. And then that just became like, you know, <laughs> a whole different spiel in itself. And so I have a whole TikTok account and it's almost at 100K. Like, and it's like, and it's, like it's just me, like I said, just messing about, <laughs> messing about. And it's like messing about, but also giving the veterinary experience vicariously and being able to, ex ex you know, exercise that creative lens. And yeah, the media aspect of it just grows and grows because I generally have fun doing the media, but then it's also a way of being able to share 
my lens on mm. things and how I see Brittany Manson, hoping that, who knows, maybe there's some kid, some eight-year-old kid that's maybe just as crazy as me sitting there like, oh, that guy's kind of crazy. And he does Brittany Manson. I want to do like how he does it. Cool, like, you know? And, and you know, maybe that's the reason why he wants to get into Brittany Manson and then he'll go and smash it. Like, and, you know, surpass whatever I may do. Like, so that that's why I really wanted to get into it. Like that kind of representation, that kind of breaking down what I'm doing the, the the skewed lens I guess you know mm. and do you see yourself as role models like are you conscious know. with your posting that you have influence and that you are being role models to other people or is that just a plus attached to everything that you're doing for yourself okay the way I see role models is that you don't make the choice mm. you because you, you don't you don't people I've heard people say I'm not a role model. And I, I, I just feel like you can't do that. Yeah. Someone makes you a role model, you yeah. become one. Mm. And so people have said to me, you know, you're an inspiration or, you know, I'm really look up to you. I really enjoy what you just being visible, you know? Yeah. And so mm. I think by design, I'm a role model. And it's, it, I guess it's not whether you're a role model, it's about whether you take the responsibility seriously or not. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of, that's how I feel about it. And I take it responsibly in the fact that if I want people to understand who I am and, and the kind of building blocks that make up me, I have to be able to represent that as truly as possible. So yeah. I, I try to find a balance where it's personal and honest and still, you know, it's, 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 a, it's just like Bolu, it's accessible basically. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely do feel I am a, a role model. Um, and, but I, I, I guess the way that I approach it is that I want to be part of things that aren't, that are kind of, that have a, a, a sense of weight to them. Yeah. So I'm, I always, I always try, to, I'm very particular in the things that I am connected to because I, you know, with this, you have to future-proof yourself and you know you see every other day there's someone who says something and it ends up somewhere mm. and some some newspaper says this and yep. and you know and so the way I see it is I, I have to be and, and me, me and Bolly spoke about this before you know like like first time I reached out to him is it's just like you know we're both in the media and I see you doing great work and we had a chat like ages ago and I you know it was it was really really cool to see someone else really kind of doing visible things as well and so that's kind of how the first time we we spoke um and that was it was just it was really not it was really comforting um in that sense and so i the way i see not just me but also Balu and other people who are visible is that we have to if we get something wrong we should use it an opportunity to kind of share with each other and talk to each other and and, and, and you know and advance each other as opposed to seeing it as a weakness yeah and so doing things like this is a really a really really great opportunity but yeah i am a role model do i take it seriously yes but i also realize that as a role model people don't buy into me just being a vet i'm not just some ubiquitous amorphous being vet i'm fabian the vet you know i'm dready vet yeah. And so with Dready Vet, there's there's more than just being a vet. There's my politics, there's my culture, there's my yeah. how stupid I am. There's the fact that, you know, you know, all the other things are important. And so I try to reflect who I really am as, mm. as safely and as considerately as, as possible. And I think that's that's such an important part of what we do. People don't buy into either of us or any of us because mm. 
we are part of animal aspirations or because we are vets. Mm. They buy into us because we're people, we're real people, we're accessible. They enjoy the things we put out because we give it emotion as well as, as the, the kind of logic and the theory behind it. And, and that's, I, take, I do take that seriously. Yeah, and that's, 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 like you said, that's human nature. That's that human nature of people buy into you because it's a, relation, it's a relationship at the end of the day. They, they relate to you. They, they, you're accessible and you've shown your, you've shown your true self. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to relate to those, you know, I'm going to relate to those traits. And that's, like you said, like you don't get to choose. You, you can't choose whether or not you are a role model. You kind of, like, you know, without, without knowing it, Fabian will, will be my role model, you know? You know, he'll be my he'll be my role model at the same time because he's out here, he's doing things that are visible. You know, it's it's just that same way of you take your role models as you are. Steve Irwin wasn't thinking of me when he was doing what he was doing. He was chasing crocodiles, you know. But I look at that guy like, yeah, you are my role, you are a role model for me. You know, uh, the way people go through their lives. When I look at particular athletes and things like that, and the way they work, they weren't thinking about me when they were doing anything. They were just being as good as best as they can, and it's that kind of thing of. Somebody said, uh, the, one of my friends does this in his, his own podcast and he was talking about um, we need less role models and more real models. And it's that kind of thing of, you know, the real model, like you are a real person. And, and that was a big thing for me. Like, I think I put it on my Instagram once, was uh, without getting political, but Joe Biden said it in his speech, talking about America and saying that they should not lead by um, the, uh, the example of their power, but by, by, by the power of example. Um, and that kind of just sticks with me because it's that kind of idea of, it's one thing telling people to do things, but it's another thing of you doing it and showing them that it's possible that it can yeah. be done. And like, you know, I will tell you X, Y, Z, but you know, best believe I'm gonna, I'm gonna live by that, by that code that I'm showing. And that's, that's that, that same thing. And it's this, you get a sphere of influence when you get this and people are going to follow you. Like we live in a day of age where regardless of what you say, regardless of what rhetoric you have, the way social media is designed is that there's like an echo chamber. And so people with similar interests are going to follow you. Um, and you will become a role model and you will become a leader. And that's the whole idea of this leader, follow, follow, <laughs> leader, like, you know? And so you, whether intentionally or mistakenly, you put yourself on that path as a role model. But then it's also being aware that you're in a position of influence. You can't mm. be ignorant to the fact that you have a position of influence, regardless mm. of if you have people, because people get hung up on numbers as well of followers and stuff like that. Even if you have 10 followers, imagine if you're standing in a, in like on Oxford Circus and you have 10 people around you listening to what you say intently. Like that's that's still a, a really impressive crowd, you know? Even with 10 people, it's five people, 100 people, 1,000 people, two that. You, you just think about that, like, five people in front of you just listening to exactly what you have to say you have some responsibility there and so it's on you as, especially when you enter that social space um to be able to like accept the responsibility and i think i want to say that like you know people like us would be good at it because we're in the Brentley spirit Brentley field where we have to accept responsibility for all our actions anyway but you know you have to accept responsibility the fact that what you're saying is affecting people mm. and you're responsible for your actions that you're demonstrating in there and you know if you're going to lead people, you're going to lead people. That you're, what you're saying is, is going out there and it's affecting people in some way. So you have to take that responsibility seriously. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I got into it to be a role model. Um, but if somebody chooses yeah, to be a role model, you know, if somebody chooses to be a role model, like, you know, if a, if a friend tells me that I motivate them, like, you know, I work with friends and we're accountability partners for each other. And if one day 
because I've pushed harder that day, it's managed to push them as well. I'm bringing you with me, you know, we're, go we're going on this together. It's not like, and nobody gets their mind and there's days when I'm slacking and you're, you're bringing, it's that togetherness in it. And so as much as it is a role model space and not picking a role model, the people who choose me as their role model are role models to me, you know, they're, they're giving me that inspiration. So it's, that, it's a two way street, it's that, Oh wait, oh, wait, you want to be like me? Wait, I'm trying to be like you. <laughs> like, you know, so that sort of thing, you know, your diligence, your hard work, you're aspiring for something. So that sort of thing. So I think I think just to just to follow on, it's important that when people are visible who aren't we don't fit the the most common identities that fit into Brackley Medicine as well, yeah. that people don't reduce us down to being the, as, as crude as it sounds, the black vets either, you know what I mean? And mm. I, I think it's very important that we show, like a dready vet is very clearly a very loud shout at things which are close to my cultural background, right? Having dreadlocks or lots or whatever you, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but actually the whole point, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a bait and switch because really once you get into dready vet as, as a social media account or as the as a entity or whatever, it's got nothing to do with me just talking about culture or race. I do a lot of other things too. And I think that's what's really great about both of us is that it's, we're having this conversation and it's not completely enshrouded in the fact that we're just, race is an issue or that we, we're, we're people and yeah. we have interests and we're, there's a huge diversity of, of things that we're connected to. And you follow us and you stay following us, not because we're out in the streets necessarily, you know, holding placards at times that we need to do, which we can do, we will do. Mm -hmm. But we, we also, you know, we like to read books. We like yeah. to exercise. We mm. like to do all sorts of stuff. You know, uh, you know we're, we're really uh, abnormally good at table tennis, whatever it is, you know <laughs> what I mean? You know, it is, you know what I mean? But that's the point. And that's the point, and that's why it's so important to it, it to 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 have these spaces to so to show that we can be visible, we can be vets, and that it, it's not we're not reduced down to well, your selling point is that you're black, or your yeah. selling point is that you've got dreadlocks. Actually, we're just as, and in many cases, much more accessible, interesting, media trained because. Yeah we're just we're people and that's that's the important part and that's that's very much where you know uh, being a role model is important you've got to take it from that start point and carry it forward and you know I, I i i think this conversation today really you know shows that so you know i think yeah, it's great that, that kind of that, that there's depth there's depth yeah. at the end of the day i guess to be but also yeah well without getting too deep but like you know like being for uh, somebody from a vain background you almost have to have depth you almost have to have that kind of background on you you have to have, to have all that kind of you know that little bit more structure you can't be superficial it's not it's not on the surface level you have to have so much more to you and it's exactly how you say like you know there's the things that people see at the forefront they take you like the first thing a lot of people will see about me is oh he's six foot four and he looks athletic and whoa like you know he's got america they're like do you play sport bro like you know you play ball and then i'll be like i'm a vet and they're like what huh <laughs> and that sort of thing and it's just you know the whole stereotype just gets gets chucked out the window it's like okay there's so much more here and, and I, i'm gonna examine that and do you know even though we're not really covering that topic, that's something as a Bain person is negotiating the world 
Um, and not necessarily proving, but demonstrating that that first label that you give me is completely enough, utterly arbitrary. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing, it means, no, it means nothing. Like it means nothing. And like after reading, well, after I read Superior by um, Angela, Angela Saini, mm. and it's such a great book about race science and things like that. And, it, and you start to realize that like talking about race and talking about the color of somebody's skin, it's as arbitrary as like, you know, classifying people into groups of how long their fingernails grow, mm. you know, like it's, it's so, it's so like, you know, by the amount of melanin in our skin is what we're talking about classifying people. And we've built, we've built this barrier about it and separated ourselves into different sex based off of it. And it's like, there's so much more, there's so much more depth to each individual person. And, you know, like, you know, like in that book, it kind of explains how, the group of us, the group of black people here, we might have more in common as a group of black people here than the group of black people that might be in, in the West Indies, Jamaica, or, you know, and there's, there's, but we're all classified under one race. Yeah. So let's all be together. But, you know, we're here, we have a completely different experience. It's like, it's so arbitrary to do that kind of thing. So, but yeah, it's that kind of lost, I've sidetracked very heavily. <laughs> but, 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 you know, there's depth this structure no I think that's an important point and I think both of you do that so well with your Instagrams even if it's not like intentional you're not hesitant to show other sides of yourselves you're like this is something I'm interested in it's not just you being a black vet because that's like what people box you into but it's like I do this I enjoy working out I enjoy fitness I enjoy you know doing these things with my friends and I think also showing having like having a work-life balance like showing that you can like it's not just about being a vet it's also really important because I feel like so much like as a student and then as like new grads it's very much like the job the job the job but like showing that you can do other things as well as being a vet as well as being dame I think you both do that really well so well done to you my last yeah. thing that I want to ask is do you have any like life mottos or inspirational quotes that you really like stand by that you that like helps you get through things um my mantra for day-to-day -day life is very much based on on humanism so the idea is that we always try to look forward and like Bolly said earlier with the COVID situation um we're always we're always trying to plan on things and in reality you, the future is is actually not really a thing that's there it's it's all based on expectation so yeah. we see the world and we want we put certain uh key points well I want this to happen I want this to happen and then this will happen it's all expectation yeah and we always are trying well you know you've got to let go of the past it's behind you we only need to focus on the present and the way that I like to see it is that actually the past is the most important part because it is the framework for all the times you've overcome something all your achievements all the and the achievements aren't necessarily attached to what someone else has done they're completely yours yeah you know like things that some people would see of achievements for other people and the way that i would see achievements may not be an achievement for someone else and vice versa so my mantra really is is that everything from now onwards is a bonus because i know when i look back at my life i've personally and not even the most obvious thing but personally had so many things i've overcome so many moments which I've enjoyed and so many privileges that have, have got me to this certain point. And so even if I was going to fall down and 
die tomorrow or never be a vet again, I could look back and say, look, you've done all this. And mm. that gives me a huge amount of freedom going forward because it means that I don't, I don't feel let down when things don't go the way I expect them to. I can still feel, you know, frustrated in the time. It doesn't stay for very long because I still work on the, the day-to-day understanding that it's a bonus. Yeah. If, I, if, if mm. you know, if I get through to tomorrow, brilliant. It's a huge bonus. And I've, all the things that have value have happened and everything else, you know, I, I, and so that way of approaching life has, has, has given me just so much freedom to not see the world as this needs to happen for me to feel value. This needs to happen. Yeah. This needs to happen. And, and I, I work with that on a day-to-day basis. My little internal philosophy is a little bit different, but as a person, that is what motivates me because there's yeah. no need for motivation. If I, if, I, if I don't want to go to work tomorrow and I want to pretend I'm sick or I want to eat Doritos all day, I can do because it's a bonus. You know, everything's a bonus. You never see anything through a maligned vision. Everything yeah. is, 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 is positive. And it's just a matter of what you'd like to do with that bonus time. That's it. I like that. Finger snap. Oh, why is It's hard for me, I think. I think, um, obviously, I have my core principles and things that I will always stick to and stay true to. Um, but like I said, like I sit down and I love to consume, like, like to devour books of philosophy and psychology. And I feel like it's always, I go through seasons of things that are, are at the forefront of my mind. So it's hard to, like, just pick one philosophy that I, I stick to, but if I were to describe in this current moment of time, mm-hmm. the philosophy that is most present in the forefront of my mind is self-awareness and self-preservation. Um, and the idea of just, it's not self-centered to look after yourself. We talk about self-care a lot. Um, and as a community, a lot of people talk about self-care, but I'm talking about from a depth of, yes, there's self-care and looking after yourself, pampering yourself, doing those things at night, you take yourself out, but there's, there's, there's more depth to it in terms of you need to also be able to preserve yourself yeah. and look after yourself and that body because as much as you have all these futuristic goals and things that you want to achieve, if you're no more, those goals are also no more, you know? You have to be able to take what you need to do to, to, to produce the best version of yourself today. Uh, and if that, means, if that means that the best version of yourself today is only 75%, then so be it, that's 75%, you know? Um, and, and taking what you need to do to do that. So if that means that you have one less phone call a day, or it means that you're just going to sit in the dark for 10 minutes, or it means that you're going to spend 20 more minutes in the bathtub, or, you know, you're going to turn the water extra hot when you get into the shower, or you're going to eat the banana, or you're going to have a Krispy Kreme, or you're going to go to cinema, you know, whatever it is that gives you that intentional happiness, because I think we're so, we're so warped in the world of this, like, unintentional happiness especially like with things like instagram and stuff like that the scrolling and the flicking and the liking and the and the consuming of all these different things unintentional dopamine triggers that are just setting off but the reason why i say the self-awareness and self-preservation is you have to have the awareness to be intentional about your happiness mm. be intentional about what it is that makes you happy and what it is that truly gives you that that dopamine whether it's spending that extra 10 minutes of friends and being tired in the morning then so be it whether it is that kind of okay, I'm going to sit down with my family today, you know, but yeah. I'm going to take my dog for that extra long walk because it makes me happy. I'm going to walk past the park and, and you know what the people say, uh, pet the cat, 
you know, you pet the cat when you walk past it, you know, or you, sm you stop and smell the roses because, oh, that smell really like, you know, just being present and self-aware of intentional happiness and also self-preserving and, you know, being able to make sure that you can see the long haul because, you know, you've got, you've got that one life and you want to be able to see that long haul and, you know, experience what you can. And even though, you know, the stoic in you might say memento more, remember death, and, and that is, it's coming, but you also want to be able to just enjoy what's there and preserve yourself and keep yourself there, you know, um, and and make sure that that best version of yourself comes out today, comes out tomorrow, and whatever you need to do to do it, you know, do it. Bring that bring that best version of you to the table because that's what we're here for, you know, every, every day, you know, just try to bring that best version of yourself. And, you know, some days you might not be able to, but you're going to ride on the fact that you as a person, because you're self-aware, you know that you'll get through it and you'll come out the other end. Finger snaps. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like some incense. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> hey, that was really good. I really enjoy both of those. I think I always like hearing what other people have as their like life mottos because it's really interesting, like understanding someone else's perspective on things. And I think there's always something to learn from listening to how other people like deal with situations and come like bring themselves to each day. So that was really, thank you so much for that. I was really enjoyed. So that kind of brings us to the end of this session, this episode. I've really enjoyed listening to your life stories. I think it's been really like inspirational and different. And I hope other people like listening to So I know you guys have such busy schedules. So I just want to thank you so much for like taking time out of your day to like chat with us, me in this setting. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Like, I mean, I've enjoyed listening to Fabian. Like, <laughs> listen all day. <laughs> but no, it's been great. It's been, it's, you know what? It's nice. It's nice to have friends, and it know that we all can we we can meet in a, a kind of off-brand setting and and just sit down and talk. And you know, it's been really really positive. And thank you so much. But thank you more importantly for doing it. You know, uh, it's I hope that these conversations are going to be. You know, have a nice broad spectrum and and, and all, all all the more power for you to do for doing it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh uh, yeah, and, and thank you to whoever's listening right now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Listeners talk <laughs> shit you. for uh, for for how many hours or it's minutes like an or hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, whoever made it this far, good on you. Like this is the bonus round. <laughs> our, our, our followers are gonna drop. Straight away, <laughs> like, oh, these guys, man. <laughs> cancel them immediately. Let's talk about cancel contract. Cancel them immediately. I hope you enjoyed this episode speaking to Bolu and Fabian. Hearing them speak about their experience studying abroad was really interesting as a pathway different from what is talked about in schools. I hope that from listening to their experience as a new grad and being in practice gave you some comfort if you are going through it now or some insight into what is yet to come. If you want to keep in touch with them, then give them a follow on social media at Bolu Esu and at Dreadybet. And while you're there, don't forget to follow at Animal Aspirations. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Animal Aspirations podcast and we'll see you next time.